Welcome to the SLP Happy Hour Podcast. Our goal is to provide you with a way to listen to real conversations on work by real SLPs. We're full-time SLPs in the trenches. These are honest conversations, and we hope you find them helpful, fun, and make your work and home life more manageable. I'm Sarah Lockhart, and with me is Sari. I'm an SLP of more than 10 years, and I work in a variety of settings, and I enjoy talking anything workplace or self-care related. Oh, and I'm a huge baker. I've just perfected my peanut butter chocolate chip recipe. Mm. And I am Sari Wu, a clinical fellow SLP finishing up my first year. I hope our listeners will find my experiences and insights relatable and helpful for dealing with their first year and day-to-day SLP challenges and adventures. And I only seem to bake in the winter. My husband loves gingerbread and ginger snap cookies, so I make a lot of those. I also like to look up fun new recipes to try, like last year I made these little cookies that looked like hot chocolate cups, and they were a huge hit at a cookie exchange party. That sounds complicated. (laughs) They actually weren't too bad, but uh, these are the types of occasions um, that are really the only time that I bake. Other times of the year, I avoid baking like the plague. I'm not sure why. Mm, Baking knows no season, Sari. (laughs) You can catch me baking no matter how hot it is outside. So back to our topic of the day. This is a podcast to discuss beyond baking, work, life, and taking care of ourselves in a profession full of ups and downs. And I hope that by tuning in, we can all feel less alone, less isolated, and more empowered to be great SLPs. This episode, we are chatting what it's like to own a private practice, and we'll talk about selling on Teachers Pay Teachers, also known as TPT. I'm excited to hear about this because I've always been interested in hearing more about the inner workings of private practice, specifically starting one up on your own. I don't think I could do that, but I'd love to learn more. But up first, we've got a listener question. This question comes from our super listener, Alice, who is our first podcast reviewer, and she asks, what do you wear to work? So I usually dress in casual business attire. I usually wear pants. I have some black legging-like pants that I like to wear with a professional blouse and a cardigan. I wear a lot of colored flats. That's kind of my thing. Like right now I'm wearing orange flats and... That's kind of my typical outfit. I do not like how flats fit. I find them very uncomfortable. They hurt the tops of my feet and the back. And I, anyway, but your orange flats are very cute. And a word on scrubs, since I know people who are listening are going to mention it. Um, So we live in the Pacific Northwest where basically no one wears scrubs, maybe in hospital inpatient. But, you know, even when I interned there, people just, the SLPs did not wear scrubs. And I know... Jill, who we're interviewing later today, she lives in Pennsylvania, and you can wear scrubs there. And I also have a friend in Texas, and scrubs are acceptable for SLPs there as well. Oh man, if I had the option to wear scrubs, I would wear them all the time. I've heard of SLPs wearing them in the schools. I've never met an SLP that works in the schools that actually does that. I did buy some for my hospital externship, and I loved wearing them, but I haven't had an opportunity to wear them since. But it was so nice to not have to worry about what to wear to work and just grab the scrubs and go. 
Mm-hmm. I've never seen any SLPs wear scrubs, so I probably wouldn't feel awesome doing it. Although someone suggested, you know, you can wear the scrub pants with a nice top and that mm. that's really comfortable. So I wear the same things over and over again. Like I said before, we live in a super casual area. Plus, I'm my own boss, so I get to do what I want. <laughs> so where we live, jeans are totally okay. So I alternate between, you know, boots and slip-on sneakers when the weather's cool and, you know, slip-on sneakers. They're nice ones. They're not like <laughs> ones I wear anywhere else. They're sandals when the weather is nice. I always wear jeans or, you know, chinos that are gray or blue or black and a simple, like, sweater or tunic on top. And then a cardigan because it's always, Mm. you know, hot outside and cool inside. So I actually rarely wear jeans unless I have a messy activity planned. But I think I'm still transitioning out of my previous office job where I only wore professional, like, pencil skirts and slacks. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm sure your coworkers and other SLPs wear jeans, right? Oh, yeah. The teachers wear them all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other SLPs, sometimes, I'm, I'm just not there yet. Mm-hmm. Although I do wear dresses or skirts, but very rarely. I think I've maybe worn a dress like four times this whole school year. Mm, I never do or hardly ever. Just when it's really hot outside because it's too hard to get up and down off the floor. Mm. So. You know, I like the idea of having an SLP capsule wardrobe, which is just, you know, a handful of pieces you wear over and over again. And Mm -hmm. I don't have a strict policy on that, so I don't exactly have a capsule wardrobe, but I like the idea of outfit formulas. So it's a mix of basically wearing the same types of things. So when it's cold, I'll wear boots, jeans, button-up shirt, cardigan. When it's hot... I'll wear sandals or nice slip-on sneakers. I know in like hospital settings you can't do that, but it's totally okay where I work. Mm-hmm. Jeans or chinos and, you know, a short sleeve button-up dress shirt or tunic. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it takes so much less time to get dressed if I have a basic outfit formula in my mind and I don't keep switching outfits a million times because, you know, things feel weird or don't look right. I got rid of a lot of clothes when I started doing this. Mm-hmm. So, um The question is, you know, have people noticed that I basically wear the same thing over and over? Maybe, but it works for me. I haven't. Yeah. So I do have even more casual stuff to wear at home. So I've got like this casual work wardrobe and then this like super duper, duper casual home wardrobe. So it's a bit embarrassing, but I do change first thing when I get home and then I wash my makeup off. (laughs) So I definitely have work clothes and casual clothes too. Uh, when I get home from work, I usually will pull on some leggings and a tunic. Yeah, my home clothes are so casual. I wear this huge insulated sweater and these loose yoga type pants, and I call it good. So, you know, it's so nice to just get home and change out of your work clothes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there you have it. That's what we wear to work. We are not well-dressed clothes experts this is not an slp fashion podcast definitely not (laughs) (laughs) but there is certainly in some ways an informal dress code for slps most of us have to wear things that we can get up and down off the floor from things that look business casual or professional and things where if we're sitting down or bending over we are still going to not show too much skin um What you'll wear will vary widely based on your weather, the culture of where you work, and the population that you work with. But that's where we are at. So moving forward, let's move on to our next topic. 
Yeah, so I wanted to share what we used to call a lazy lesson, but we now call an efficient lesson. It does sound better. And this was something for a preschool client, so I totally get it may not work for everyone, so here it is. And this is an idea from another SLP. It's just a laminated piece of paper, so you take, you know, a piece of red construction paper and a piece of green construction paper. You cut them out into squares, place them on top of each other, laminate it. So one side's red, one side's green. So here's what I'm doing with it. I've been using it with clients who are late talkers or who are on the spectrum and who are maybe not talking much and need help following directions. And then I'll make the red means stop, green means go, and then I'll model ready, set, with the red side showing, and then flip it over to the green and say go and either I'll say go um or the kid will say go um you know if the child's saying go great they just finish the phrase and then if uh, I'm saying go they're following that one step direction with the visual cue which is just that green side Mm -hmm. so I used it also to talk about behavior with social clients or clients who needed that and the green was ready to learn behaviors, and the red was not yet ready to learn behaviors. Mm. We also called them break behaviors, meaning it's time to take a break. And that was, again, with a social client. So basically, my red and green square was something I used for as many clients as possible last week because that is the way I roll. So it's really incredible how much you can use one simple visual for so many mm-hmm. goals. Oh, and if I was working for adults, I can think of um, one client in particular we were working on volume with. And the red and green would have been a great visual cue for him because he was either too quiet or he would try to be loud and be so loud that it was hurting his voice, in which case it would have been helpful to show him the red and get back to that green, that safe zone. So there you go. That's my lazy or efficient (laughs) lesson. And it's just a visual cue that you can use for a lot of different lessons. You know, I think you showed me this card, and I thought it was a really creative tool to use. And you're right, very versatile. But if I remember right, didn't you draw little faces on both sides as well before you laminated it? Um, So one copy has faces, the green has a smiley, and then the red has a sad, and that's for some behavior things. But um, I also just have a blank one. So, Sari, if you had the visual, what would you use it for? Uh, So I saw you use it for categorizing emotions. Uh, the ready-to-learn versus need-a-break, and you had laminated some faces with different emotions. So that would be a good a good tool for self-awareness for some of my early learners. So I think I'd probably try that. Mm-hmm. That was a fun activity. And, you know, it's just a good visual. So wherever you work, I hope that you can use that lazy lesson, a.k.a. efficient lesson, or just, you know, if that doesn't work for you, think of a simple visual that you can use for a variety of clients working on a variety of goals and go for it. And as you think about that easy visual cue, we are moving forward onto our interview segment. In just a minute, we'll get Jill Shook on the line to talk about teachers pay teachers and private practice. Mm-hmm. We are about to start our interview with Jill Shook, and Jill is an SLP who runs a private practice, sells products on teachers pay teachers, and runs an online program for SLPs who are getting their own private practices up and running. I wish I had that when I was starting. We are so excited to be interviewing Jill today. And we have her on the line. Welcome, Jill. Hi, guys. 
This is actually one of our first interviews and we thought it would be nice to get to know you with a round of lightning questions. They'll be quick and easy just to get us warmed up and get to know you a little bit better. Are you game? Sure, sounds good. All right, so I wrote out a list of some questions and we'll just go through them. Just say the first thing that pops into your head. Okay. What is one word that describes you? Funny. <laughs> like it. What is your favorite SLP material? Oh, probably my um, graph paper post-it notes. Oh, good choice. Good choice. Um, fill in the blank. Being an SLP means you... Multitask. Oh, for <laughs> yeah. sure. Definitely. What's the first thing you do when you get home from work? Uh, I work from home. Uh, <laughs> when, I get, when I get home from seeing my clients, um, I like to take off my scrubs because that kind of lets me know that I'm not at work anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you weren't an SLP, what would you be? I don't know. Maybe like a librarian. <laughs> like, I really like reading in books. If you had $100 to spend on any SLP material, what would you buy? Oh, right now, I'd probably put the money toward um, a, some testing materials. <laughs> mm -hmm. They're expensive. I'm they with are. you. They're expensive, yeah. If you could go anywhere in the world, you'd go to? Oh, uh, just all over Europe. Favorite ice cream, ice cream flavor? Uh, they have, there's a place called Handles near us, um, and it has a banana cream pie flavor. Oh, that's um, not like well. I wouldn't like it from any other oh, company, that. but this is this has been voted the best ice cream in the world. Like if you Google it, um, and I would agree with that assessment. I'm like shaking my head no right oh, now. I'm not sure about that banana. Do you cream. like banana? Smoothies? No, I didn't. I didn't think I would like it. I I thought it was gross at first, but then my husband made me try it, and I was like, this is delicious. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, I'll, I'll keep an open mind. Sometimes <laughs> instead of ice cream, I'll just freeze like little banana chips mm -hmm. and, and eat that. Oh, man. oh, those are good. That sounds good. Okay. I got just a couple more. What's the best thing about private practice? Um, the flexibility within reason. And what's <laughs> the hardest thing about private practice? Having to be in charge of everything. Everything. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Agreed. Great. Thank you, Jill. Now let's get started with our regular interview questions. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about Teachers Pay Teachers. So okay. to start... Could you share a little bit about your Teacher Pay Teachers? What's it called and what do you sell? Okay, so my uh, Teachers Pay Teacher store is just called Jill Shook SLP. Uh, and I put SLP so people would know that it was speech therapy materials. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I sell a lot of literacy based. Um, I have some book companions. I have like um, a lot of interactive books that I've made. I, love uh, I have, it's mostly geared toward younger clients because that's what I'm primarily working with right now. Um, I have like minimal, I have minimal pairs like smash mats. So with, uh, with Play-Doh or you can laminate them and use them with dry erase marker. And um, I use those and love them. Those yes. awesome. I have your minimal pair smash mats. Yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So those are, that's, and it takes a long time to make uh, materials. So I haven't put as many in there as I'd like, but I'm, I'm adding more all the time. About how long does it take you to develop a set of materials? From initial like idea to com completion I mean it depends it can take like f at least like 40 hours for most of them okay um I mean the other day I was telling Sarah I spent 14 hours on one one set of materials that was already finished I was just trying to edit it and get it to be an editable format and all of the formatting and stuff that took like 14 hours and it still didn't even do what I needed it to do so oh. I mean it can take it depends on the the material but it usually takes you know quite a lot of time 
to do to, to finish. Yeah. And I think that's important to keep in mind because when I buy things for like $2 or $5 or however much on teachers pay teachers, I really have no idea how long it took that person to put that material together. Yeah. And I know a lot of people are probably better at this than I am. And so I'm, I'm still, you know, figuring it out. So it's taking me longer, but yeah, it takes quite a bit of time. Um, even not just to make the material, but also to like, to design it and market the, um, the cover and make sure that it's been, um, secured. The PDF is secured so that it can't be like the clip art can't be taken and stuff. So it's a whole, the whole thing. Right. So what do you do to advertise your teacher pay teachers account? How much time does that take you? Um, it takes oh so much more time than I expected. Um, you have, so I have a blog for my private practice and I have linked to my store and linked to different materials in blog posts and also on a resources page, um, on my website. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I do a lot of like Pinterest pins for all of my materials and stuff. Um, and then I have to pay for, um, Tailwind, which is an application that allows you to schedule Pinterest pins because you have to do them at, at specific times. They have like optimal times so that they'll do better. Um, and then, you know, I have an Instagram account and I, I talk about them there and I have links to them there as well. Um, I've tried to do Facebook ads. I don't know that I ever set them up right. They always just seem to kind of take <laughs> me anything back. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, you have, that's a huge aspect of Teachers Pay Teachers is just figuring out how to market the material. Um, what, where do you feel like it's effective to spend your time marketing for your Teachers Pay Teachers store? And what's something that you've tried that maybe isn't as effective? Um, I, so definitely Pinterest, like paying for Tailwind was probably the best money I spent because that gives me a very good return on investment. Um, personally, I don't like Pinterest, but I know people do and that's where they're finding my material. So I'm glad to be able to put stuff there. Um, I, like I mentioned, I tried Facebook ads a couple times and I think I just did not know how to set the, you know, parameters correctly. And that it just, it wasn't a very good return on investment for me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We're trying to figure out Facebook ourselves. I cannot. The fact that I call it the Facebook is just <laughs> lets you know how much I know about the Facebook. <laughs> and Jill, it sounds like you're, you're talking a little bit about your target market and you're saying, you know, I'm not on Pinterest, but my target market is. So who are you selling to on teachers pay teachers? Who is your target market? So most of the people that I'm, that I'm uh, marketing my resources toward are other um, SLPs, either in the schools or in private practice who are working with, um, usually younger, mm -hmm. younger clients. So, you know, lower, uh, lower elementary preschool, um, some upper elementary, it depends on, you know, what you're working on. So those, and people who like, you know, literacy-based activities, I also try to do evidence-based materials. So I include links to the research um, that's behind why I'm doing the materials in um, many of my resources. I'm, I'm trying to add more of those as I update, that's another thing with Teachers Pay Teachers, it takes a while is you make something and then the kind of aesthetic changes. Um, like recently, they used to have, you know, eight and a half by 11, like letter sized covers, but then they everyone decided to do square covers because Teachers Pay Teachers changed it. So you had to go back in and redo all of your covers to be square. Oh, um, what a hassle. And then after that, everyone was like, oh, now we need real pictures. So then it was like, oh, you had to go back and instead of having like, you know, just the title, you had to come up with like a stock photo or something of the <laughs> picture, uh, staged picture of the material in action, and then make another cover. So you're constantly having to update things all the time. 
yeah. Uh, when I go in and update them, because I always am having to do that, I usually, um, I'm adding more like of the evidence base for that. All right, so not to put you on the spot, but to put you on the spot, do you feel like Teachers Pay Teachers is lucrative as a side hustle? No. Um, <laughs> I really, I, like not for the amount of time, maybe if I had gone into it knowing or, or been better with, like had a background in design and marketing, um, but I, I didn't. And so I, I spend quite a bit more time creating things than the amount of money that I'm bringing in for it. Okay. I don't think it's not, I mean, it's not nothing, but it's, it's far less lucrative than the amount of time I would spend seeing private clients. But again, I can do it at, you know, 4 a.m. on a Sunday if I'm awake or something where I can't be seeing clients then. So, right, right. So maybe it's good for someone who's at home and has time um, that is, they're not making money. You know, those hours where they don't have a job and they're not making a lot of money, like a stay-at-home parent. Um, but it's not a great, fit if you also have the option of going out and working and earning a steady income at another job. Is that kind of what you're saying? Well, I think it depends on the person because almost all of the really big TPT sellers who are SLPs, all of them have full-time jobs. So they're also making quite a bit of money on TPT, but they have, they have virtual assistants, a lot of them. And a lot of them are just really good at, at being able to design and market things. Um, a couple of them I know are, they were graphic designers, like that was their undergrad. So, you know, they have those, that background because one of the things about Teachers Pay Teachers is it's not just the content um, per se of, you know, hey, I have a really great, I have really great materials and the, the content is great. It's very much more so the design and yeah. how it's produced. Yeah. Um, those little pictures you talked about, I'm, I, really appreciate those because I definitely go in and look at those and that that plays a role in whether yeah, or not it, it, it makes or breaks a lot of things like yeah. I've seen stuff that I'm like wow this is really good material but holy smokes this cover is terrible like it would not <laughs> make me want to buy this material even though when I look you know I look into it I realize that it's good so yeah it just it depends on kind of what what skill sets you possess I don't think that I that I possess them very well but I'm doing my best and it gives me something to do I like being able to to create things and share them with people so for others considering starting a teachers pay teachers do you have any tips or advice to share um definitely just don't assume like I did that it would not take very long to make mm -hmm. materials. like you don't go in and assume you can do it like um 10 hours a week and get and be able to make money with it um, unless you have someone who's, you know, a VA and doing it for you, like doing all your marketing, you have to do an email newsletter, you know, all this stuff. If you are just going to be doing it for a couple hours a week and trying to do it yourself, you're probably not going to be making any money. So mm -hmm. don't, don't try to do that. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, switch gears a little bit to private practice. Um, who do you think you know, Jill, you run a private practice that's a solo practice. So you're the only one, you do everything. So do I. So um, let's talk a little bit about who private practice is right for and maybe describe a person and it can be, you know, a pretend person that you think private practice would be a really good fit for. Like what would be their qualities? How much time would they have? How much money would they have saved up? Just what are some basic things about someone who would be right for private practice? Okay. Um, 
so in my head, I'm thinking of the person I was not when I started private Me practice. <laughs> um, but someone who is conscientious enough to have done the research, uh, which I didn't really do beforehand. I kind of did it on the fly as I was starting my practice. Um, so conscientious enough to have done the research and responsible enough to be able to take care of all of the paperwork and administrative details that need to be done um, that you don't think about. I mean, this was not something that was difficult for me, but I'm like, I'm good with organization and stuff. Yeah, same here. Um, but try, but the, the sheer volume of things that you have to think about, um, you have to be able to kind of wrap your mind around all of these things and be organized enough to keep a list of when all your licensure, licensure fees are due and your CEUs are due for the different, you know, state and local and, um, you know, ASHA, all of those hours, all of your, you know, um, like materials, you have to make sure that you are able to organize them so you know where they are. Um, so someone who's got good initiative is organized um, and has at least probably a couple thousand bucks. I mean, in my course, I say like $2,000 at least um, <laughs> that you can kind of be okay with losing for that year um, because you, it might take you a good you know, six months at the very least, at least a year usually to make back any of the money that you've put into your private practice as you're starting it, which I did not think about either when I was totally Jill. And I wish, yes, yes. If I, if, if this was like a texted conversation, I would have like the praise hands emoji going on right now because no one talks about that. Like you will not make money the first three months because it takes about three months just to get that first insurance check in. So a, you're going to be spending money. Yeah. B, you're not going to be able to pay yourself. So thank you for sharing that because I, I wish that more people were honest about that because it's a huge factor in whether or not someone should start a private practice. And I didn't really know how long it would take me to make money when I started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not something that, and again, it'll be different for, for people depending on what their, their practice is. Because I know I started primarily seeing um, clients paying out of pocket, private pay, um, until I got, you know, I was credentialed with more insurance companies. Um, so, you know, that was easier because then private pay, they'll pay you right then. But it's still, I mean, yeah, the, the first three months you're going to get paid, but then you're going to have to pay for your marketing that you did. And you're going to mm -hmm. have to pay for, you know, the tests that you need. Um, you know, if you need to pay for the space that you're renting so you can see clients <laughs> even. So yeah, there's a lot of pieces of the pie that you don't think about when you're starting which yeah. is why I put them all in my course and try to, to warn people, hey, you know, this is important to think about. Yes. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your course and how that can help people, but also um, what if someone is listening in and they want to take that first step to starting a private practice, what would you recommend that they do if they're just feeling like overwhelmed, like there's too many steps? Right. Well, I'd say they're probably in the private practice starting headspace if they are overwhelmed, because I think that's what everyone kind of... Right. If you're not overwhelmed, you don't know what you should be doing. And like, that's more scary. If you're overwhelmed, you at least get the scope of all the things you have to do, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's, that's totally true. And when I started, I was just like, eh, yeah, I'll do this. Kind of like when I did Teachers Pay Teachers, if you see a theme here, I'm like, yeah. I'll <laughs> um, and then I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> there's all of these things. I Like the 3 a.m. wake-ups, oh man, am I doing HIPAA right? Like what even is HIPAA? Do I, does it have a P or two P's or I don't know. <laughs> um, 
like how to spell it. So that must mean I'm doing it wrong. Um, yeah, if, if you're in that headspace where you're overwhelmed, I'd say try to make a list of the things that you know that you need for private practice. Um, and that'll be different for everyone. Like some people realize that they need, you know, to be HIPAA compliant. Some people are like, oh, I really know that I need a website or I know that I need to be credentialed with insurance. Like some people might not even know that they need to be credentialed. Um, and that's okay. Just make a list of the things that you do know that you need. Um, because then you'll have at least everything in one place um, to kind of look at and say, you know, this is what I've, this is what I've done. This is what I need to do. And then if they choose to do something like, you know, pursue a course or a book or something, then they can at least know where to look instead of just like, what I would do is just like, oh, today I need to do HIPAA. And then I would start typing in HIPAA and then be like, wait, does email need to be HIPAA compliant? And then I'd start typing in um, email compliance. And then I would be like, wait, do I need to do marketing? What is marketing? Like I could never just do one thing. So keeping everything kind of a, a list of the things that you need to do, um, even if you don't know all the things you need to do, just having that list and being able to check off things. Um, and that kind of keeps you accountable for the things that you need to learn. Mm-hmm. And doing one thing at a time. That was something that was incredibly important to me when I was starting out because that to-do list was so long because there's so many pieces um, that you have to get uh, organized and in line before you even see that first client or think about seeing that first client. So just to remind yourself, you know, I don't have to do this all right now. I just have to do one thing at a time. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so before you go, Jill, will you share um, how people can find out more about your, I know you have free private practice resources and you also have your private practice SLP Academy. Yes. Yeah. So um, I do have, um, I have a, quite a few free activities in my Teachers Pay Teachers account. Um, and that would, they're, you know, good for SLPs in the schools or in private practice. And that's, if you go to Teachers Pay Teachers, you can just look up Jill Shook SLP. And we'll link all your stuff to the show notes too. Okay, good. Yeah. So I was going to say, if they're in the show notes, they should, uh, they should be all there as well. Um, and then you can always email me, which I think you guys will have that information as well. And then um, I do have a, a whole free course on the first six steps that you need when you're starting a private practice. Um, so I figured that would be a good amount uh, of, of steps to take before you, you know, kind of dive into being in private practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that will, that pretty much gives you everything. If you're just going to be see, seeing private clients uh, who are not insurance, you're just taking private pay. It pretty much gives you everything you need to start seeing clients. Um, in that, in that free course. And then I have, um, a full length course, a paid course, um, that takes about four hours and it has everything from starting, um, your, you know, email account to HIPAA compliance, to marketing, to billing and coding, um, to which resources you should think about buying and what paperwork you need, um, everything kind of all in one place so that it kind of directs how you start your practice. You don't just kind of puzzle out everything and start grabbing pieces willy-nilly you you can kind of do everything in a sequence and it's so nice it takes so much stress off to have a sequence to follow and speaking of reducing stress um, when we interview people we ask them for a self-care challenge this can be anything that it could be fitness it could be nutrition it could be sleeping more any one bite-sized thing that listeners can do to take better care of themselves. So do you have a self-care challenge for us? Yeah. So what I've actually been doing for me uh, is despite, you know, being busy and being a stay-at-home mom and um, running 
basically three different businesses. Um, I take, I, I call Sundays screen-free Sunday and I take my phone and I leave it at home when we go to church. Um, and then I, I thought I was going to be able to do the whole day, but usually I just get to like <laughs> mid-afternoon um, of not looking at my phone. And I usually consider that to be, <laughs> to be sufficient. Um, but I usually, I take at least, you know, five or six hours without a screen. Oh, uh, so no phone. Um, we may watch TV or something, but it's not like where we're just looking at a phone and scrolling through, you know, whatever. And then I don't, I don't do any work on it. It's usually Sunday. I take one day as a rest day. It, it can be whatever day of the week um, is works for you, depending. I know some people take Mondays. So my self-care challenge would be to take one day where you're screen free um, for a significant amount of time. And also you can do this on the same day to take one day where you do not do any work. So even if you are using a screen, a phone, a computer, whatever, you're not doing any work. You're turning that part of your brain off for that day. I love that. I, I think that's a great. People don't realize how draining screen time can be. And it's so ingrained in every, everything that we do anymore. I love oh, it. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, even just being aware of how much time you're on your, on your screen. Absolutely. Yeah, that scrolling behavior with your hand, just like scrolling, 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 and then stopping. I've heard of that described as putting away the claw, right? Because your claws are yeah. scrolling, scrolling. <laughs> and so uh, your self-care challenge, if you're listening, is to put away your claw away for one claw. day. <laughs> Thanks, Jill. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your expertise and uh, being our, our guest, one of our first interview guests on SLP Happy Hour. I was glad to do it. Thanks, guys. And that concludes this episode of SLP Happy Hour. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you are a newer SLP or an SLP student, we hope this episode gave you a good snapshot of what it's really like to be an SLP. And wherever you are on your SLP journey, we hope you feel more connected and empowered by listening today and that you learned something along the way. Let's figure this out together. By sharing our experiences and perspectives, we can become more connected to each other and more forgiving of ourselves. Let's navigate through these thorny issues together. And as we do, remember you already know what you need to know to be an awesome SLP. And you already care as much as you need to care to be an awesome, caring SLP. We hope you enjoyed this show. As we talked about work attire and interviewed Jill Shook on her Teachers Pay Teachers account and her experiences running a private practice. We hope you found this conversation helpful and that you learned something along the way. Each episode, we share a way that you can support our podcast. This week, share this episode with a friend. We are both full-time SLPs, we don't have a marketing budget, and there is one major way that we can get more SLPs listening, and that is with your help. Text this episode to a friend, show a friend how to subscribe, or share this episode with a friend who might enjoy these topics. Let them know how to find us on social media, where our Patreon page is, and how to join. If you want to connect with us, you can visit our website, slphappyhour.com or find us on social media as SLP Happy Hour. We hope you enjoyed this show and that this 
was a little slice of an SLP happy hour for you. We've enjoyed recording it. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Each episode, we share a way you can support our podcast. This week, we shared this... Wow. (laughs) Wow, wow, wow. (sighs) Talk to your friends. (laughs) Oh my gosh, look at the speech line. It was huge. Probably not, but I'm going to try.